and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, Brody, bro, <laughs> broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're going to talk a little about harvest safety today. We've got harvest going on in different crops across the country and certainly as you're getting ready even for harvest of corn and soybeans in the north you say well I got a little time before that. Yeah, you do. But chances are, if you got a free day in the shop, you're already starting to work on some things and make some adjustments and replace some parts and those types of things. So going to talk about harvest safety in today's show and also take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. A couple of things that I picked up from our dad. He talked about these all the time in relate in relation to harvest safety. Here, here they are. So number one was when you're going down the road with a slow-moving vehicle, you have every right to that road as anyone else. So don't drive on the shoulder. He said when you drive on the shoulder, you do two things. One, you've given up your rights, and now anything's going to be your fault if there's an accident. And two, when you are on the shoulder, then... You may need to swing out for whatever. You're, 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 you're causing more problems than you're helping. That was basically his point. So stay on the road. And the next thing along with that is anybody that comes up to pass you, if, if you have a slow-moving vehicle sign on the back of your vehicle, they have to slow down to your speed first before they can proceed around you. There are many accidents that are caused every year because people don't know the rules of the road. And that is rule number one around a safe, around a slow moving vehicle to be safe. What you're supposed to do is you got to slow down to that speed. If it's 15 or 20 miles an hour, whatever it is, you got to slow to that speed first, then you proceed around them. You can't just come flying down the highway, like right here, the highway right outside our office here and our farm, it's 65 miles an hour. You can't come flying 65 miles an hour around a slow-moving vehicle. No way, no how. It doesn't give you the time to react because a lot of times these slow-moving vehicles, they are turning soon, not, uh, you know, driving 30 miles. They're usually driving a mile or two or three miles. So the odds are high. They're going to be turning soon. If they start to turn, and you didn't notice that because you're flying along at 65 miles an hour, you're in trouble. All right, the next thing that he always talked to us about is call it a day at a reasonable hour. No working 24-7. And this, I'm not saying this coming, you. This coming from a workaholic, Brian, because he was just not happy unless he was working. But you know what? Uh, huh. At the end of the day, yeah, equipment but- got cleaned up. Equipment got maintained at the right. start of the day. Yeah, there's a and, limit to it. But yeah. the, the whole point is this. He just said... A couple of things along the lines of getting sleep. Number one, most accidents end up happening because you're tired. So you don't want to get yourself too tired because then you don't do a good job at whatever you're working at and you're way more prone to have accidents. But then the other thing is just in terms of staying up, let's say you do stay up most of the night or whatever, one night. He said, it'll always take your body. You just watch three days to recover. And sure enough, I have found that throughout life. Anytime I get like way out of the ordinary in terms of sleep pattern, it's three days and then I feel better. So he's like, why would you waste three days to gain three hours? That doesn't make sense. So just 
like for us on the farm, we went seven in the morning till nine at night. And granted, I mean, we might be starting at six. We might be going till 10 some nights, but we're not really pushing it a whole lot out of that extreme. And you might say, well, you know, that's, that's not enough hours for in season. Well, we did this six days a week. That was the other thing. We took Sundays mostly off other than livestock chores and things like that. But it's just about getting enough rest and figuring out, okay, how much equipment do I need? How much in terms of infrastructure do I need to make this happen in the hours I'm going to work on my farm and have that all go? So I realize our topic is harvest safety, and I'm talking to you about all these things and hours and everything else, but it all ties together because if you are stressed because of lack of sleep, you are much more likely to cut corners, and all of a sudden something goes terrible, and it only takes a split second, and your life is changed forever. Your family is changed forever. So you've always got to think about that and put safety first. So with us on the farm growing up, we were not even allowed to run a lot of the big equipment, do things that could potentially get us hurt and stuff like that, just because for both of our parents, they were just so worried about that all the time. They just wanted to make sure that we were safe as kids and they were doing the right thing. Now, granted, I mean, once you get to be 18 and you're out of the house, whatever, you or you got your own farm, you can make whatever decision you want to make. But a lot of those lessons just stick with you. All right. We're going to talk harvest safety throughout the show, but right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian. Um, this question comes in from John about lowering soil pH. We didn't get through this yesterday, did we? He said, I know I had this one up and ready to go. He said, guys, uh, I was reading a recent article about elemental sulfur... No, we didn't talk about this. And <laughs> trying to lower pH. And, I guess somebody said it doesn't work. Well, and and that it doesn't work if your CEC is too high. Not true. But also just wondering, uh, what is the CEC? Where do you find that on a soil test? Those kinds of things. And then uh, tell us why you've had different results. Okay, so cation exchange capacity, you can get that on just about anybody's soil test. You may have to request it depending on the lab you're working with. The reason why we like knowing cation exchange capacity and why everyone needs to know it is so we're all talking apples to apples. Because otherwise I ask a guy, well, how heavy is your soil? Oh, it's really heavy. Well... That means something totally different to a farmer in Alabama on sand than it does to somebody up in Canada with unbelievable heavy peat or muck soil. So I want to know what's your cat exchange capacity number. What's the number? Then I I can give you a much better idea of how we're going to manage that field. In terms of the elemental sulfur, it absolutely works. But the key is you have to have good drainage because without air and good microbial activity, Elemental sulfur can't lower the soil pH. Plus, we don't know for sure that the elemental sulfur is going to help a little or a lot unless we look at that soil test. We'll talk a little more about that right after this. Stay tuned. When nematode pressure mounts, seed-applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference from early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield. Impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Elite Grower. Don't delay. Contest ends October 31st. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. See full rules. Learn more at newfarm.com USST. 
Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucinto fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucinto fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all label directions. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking harvest safety on today's program, and also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got a soil test to look at a little bit that came in. Radio at agphd.com is our email address if you want to send a picture or soil test or plant tissue test. Okay, just to wrap up, before the break, we were talking about elemental sulfur, and the reason why it doesn't work for some people is because they don't have their drainage fixed. Without good drainage, you don't have the appropriate amount of air in the soil and the microbial life is not good because without microbes and and the right ones, you're not going to break that elemental sulfur down properly and have it convert over to hydrogen sulfate. Instead, it will convert to hydrogen sulfide and your soil will smell like rotten eggs. That is not a good thing. In terms of what kind of elemental sulfur you want. You just want something that's very dissolvable, something that will dissolve quickly in water. And if you say, well, how am I supposed to figure that out? Super simple. Take in some samples of product you could buy, throw it in a little mason jar, just a a little jar, a small jar that's glass, and throw some water in it, shake it around, then come back the next day, shake it around. If it still sounds like rocks in there, that's not a good one. If it's completely dissolved, that's a great one. So that's a simple way on how to do that. In terms of lowering that soil pH, elemental sulfur absolutely helps, but you got to fix the things that are wrong in that soil. Otherwise, it's going to go right back to the high pH that it was before. So that's correcting the imbalances. And if you're listening today and you go, well, I don't quite understand that, send us your soil tests. We can tell you real fast what you need to fix. Now, granted, it's going to take time in most cases, to lower a high soil pH. But it absolutely can be done. We've taken mid-8s and brought her way down, and now it's super productive soil. But just don't expect it's going to happen overnight. 
All right, uh, let's get back into our harvest safety topic. And real happy to have Dan Neenan with us right now, uh, director of the National Education Center for Agricultural Safety. And you can find their resources at necasag.org. Dan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You know, you, you talk about harvest safety, and obviously you work with a lot more than just the corn crop. You're working with all the crops ac- across the country. What are some of the big things that, I guess, you get into a lot of rescue from grain bins and those types of things, but how about just safety out in the field? Absolutely. You know, I mean, now is a good time before the harvest season kicks in to take a look at the machinery. And remember, it's uh, getting darker earlier, Um, so taking a look at your lighting and marking, making sure that that is all working and that, you know, the reflectors are clean and what we call retro-reflective. So if a pair of headlights hit it, that they're going to be able to reflect back and show you in front of them. We also want to make sure that those reflectors are on the whitest part of the implement that you're towing. Um, you know, we want to give the driver behind you a good appreciation of your size and, uh, of course, the slow-moving vehicle emblem uh, to be able to do that, to get them off of the gas and onto the brakes. You know, I, another thing, Dan, that comes up this year is just drought. And a lot of farmers say, man, I'm nervous about just fire risk at drought. What what are the, what are the statistics show and, and what are some good practices that, that we should be looking into to keep ourselves safe? We recommend two 10-pound fire extinguishers on the combines, one up in the operator station and one down and around the other side. The other thing is, is the response of your local fire department. Um, a lot of people outside of the home farm are renting properties or have bought properties um, that they recognize as, let's say, the old Joe Smith farm. So if that's where the combine were to catch fire and they called 911 and said, hey, I'm at the old Joe Smith farm, well, back in the day when each small community had their own 911 center, people knew where that was at. But as 911 centers have become countywide or region-wide, um, they can't. So if your area has the 911 numbers for it, to write down on a piece of paper, you know, make copies for every combine pickup tractor that's going to be going from farmstead to farmstead that, you know, what we call the old Joe Smith farm, here is the actual address, but here's the 911 number. Because if I can give the operator that 911 number, it's going to automatically tell them what fire department, what ambulance, what police department to be able to dispatch out, which is going to save time. And of course, you know, I mean, when we talk medical, time is muscle. But, you know, I mean, with a machinery that's on fire, um, we want to get it out as soon as we possibly can. So any time that we can save, you know, and getting them dispatched, um, you know, will be well worth it. For sure. That's a great tip. Having the fire extinguishers on hand, having the address of the field so you know what you can do and, and where they need to get to with the with the help for you. The other thing with fire extinguishers, Dan, I thought this was interesting. I, as a kid, I got fire extinguisher training, just learning how to shoot it and, and where to aim it at and those types of things. It's actually kind of fun shooting a fire extinguisher when you don't have to, and it's not an emergency. But boy, if that emergency ever pops up, uh, all of, all that training, hopefully, it's it's somewhere in the back of your mind because there's there's a little bit of panic there too. Yep. Well, the acronym is of course pass, just like passing a football. You want to pull the pin, aim at the base of the fire, squeeze the trigger, and spray back and forth. 
So you always want to be aiming at the base of the fire because that's where the burning is actually taking place. So if you're aiming at the top, you're not putting anything out. The other thing that you mentioned, you know, using that fire extinguisher. Once you use it once, you know, if it's a 10-pound fire extinguisher and you just use a little bit of it and you think, oh, it's still full, I can put it back and I can use it again. That's not true um, because what you did was you shot the propellant out of it, which is going to, you know, shoot for distance there. So even though you might have nine pounds of powder left in the extinguisher, if you've used the propellant, you know, in a week, nothing else is going to come out of there. Um, so it needs to be recharged or replaced if you use that. Oh, that's a good tip. All right. Also, when we get that grain harvested in the field, there's lots of moving parts and lots of equipment, as you kind of alluded to before. But you bring that back home and you put it in a grain bin. Now you're into a whole bunch of different safety concerns with a confined space and, and dust and, and all these things. Uh, that That's one that, that getting more training on and refreshing us on each year is really important. It is, you know, and to take a look at what your moisture content is. Uh, I mean, in a large swath of the country, when we get into January and February, it's going to freeze. So if that grain has a high moisture content to it, it's going to freeze and crust over. So remember, we fill the bin from the top, we feed it out from the bottom. So we could get a void area there that may be three feet deep or maybe 30 feet deep. So as the farmer goes in and maybe potentially walks across it, it can't support their weight. And they're going to fall and they're going to be trapped inside there. So, you know, the other thing to take a look at is, you know, to chat with your local fire department. Do they have grain rescue materials, you know, the, the pieces to be able to work together um, to be able to get somebody out that's entrapped? The rescue tubes have been on the market about 15 years, but they've just been incredible in switching from what was a fatality into what could potentially be uh, you know, a rescue or somebody who's at the dinner table tonight. Yeah, that's a big deal. And I know in our state, there's so many small rural towns that not everyone has rescue tubes or the training on how to use that. How how close does that need to be, Dan? Is that something where eventually we need that in every single town? Or is that something of, We'd hey, love every... to have it in every county. You know, yeah. love to see one tube in every county. We're a long ways away from that. Um, you know, to be able to do that and the training. So there is Grain Bend Safety Week out there. Um, with that, folks can nominate their fire department to win a grain rescue tube and training. So that contest always opens up January 1st. So, I mean, if they kind of put a tickler on their calendar to go to grainbendsafetyweek.com that first week in January, they can nominate their fire department to win the rescue tube. So this year's contest, uh, we took in enough donations that we're giving out uh, 59 rescue tubes in 23 states. So we're actually in the process of delivering those out now and doing the training to the fire departments. Wow, that is awesome. And I know just for our local fire department, there's there's a benefit every year. There's a fundraiser every year, and they always put different equipment up for what, what are they trying to raise money for. A grain rescue tube would certainly be a good one to add to the list. Dan Neenan with the National Education Center for Ag Safety. Thanks, Dan. Really appreciate it. Stay tuned. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. 
with three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab. It's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Corn rootworms are called the billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Steward EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Steward EC Insecticide from FMC. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y in his last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker one-third of his house, a third of his truck, and a third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here. Uh, excuse me, I'm a little confused. Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Veltima fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility. One-third of a dog. Right. Get everything you deserve with Veltima fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel bin full of corn, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 1,000 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. We're discussing harvest safety on today's Ag PhD radio show and, of course, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We had an email that came in from Josh. He said, in our area, we have an app that all farmers have that lets the farmers and volunteers know where the fire's at. It has sped up reaction time to help everybody get there and, and provide some help. Hey, that's really cool, Josh. I think that's a great idea. And uh, we were just talking with Dan Neenan, and he was saying the same thing, National Education Center for Ag Safety, that getting help there timely is really critical. And knowing the addresses, knowing the 911 addresses of your fields is really helpful too. So just adding that onto your form or your sheet or whatever of your harvest records, that it could really save you if you have an emergency out in the field. 
Real happy to have Jesse Williams with us right now with Case IH talk about the equipment side of this just a little bit. Jesse, thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. Well, harvest is coming up pretty quick on our farm, and I know it's already going in different parts of the country. Uh, the big thing here is keeping that equipment up to snuff, running well, and avoiding problems. Correct. So, you know, when you think about uptime, what are some good tips that you've got for us uh, just to ensure that happens for us on our farm? You know, probably the best one would be working with your local dealer. They've got a great uptime inspection program that they'll do a 140-point inspection on your machine. Uh, we've been doing that on our farm with my father-in-law's machine for 10 years. He's got an 8230, and we're rarely broke down during harvest. So that, you know, takes a lot of the stress out of harvest when things stay rolling. I've got a lot of customers that like to do their own repairs that will still have the dealer come out and run through that inspection with the train tech that's got a lot of experience, tell them what they need to replace, and then they do their own repairs. It's kind of like our own visits to the doctor, Jesse. If if something's wrong, I'm sure happy to head in, but it's those wellness visits that, oh, I don't know if I really need that. I can I can see farmers feeling the same way about their equipment. Yeah, I think this is a little less painful than going to the doctor. Maybe, but, <laughs> I hope, uh, a little less intrusive, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> so, right. know, the other thing I typically recommend to guys pre-harvest is going through and, you know, calibrating the sieves, zero nitro concaves, you know, some of that basic stuff so that when you, you get the book out or you're turning the automation on and you're setting the machine, things are where they should be. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big deal. All right. One thing we're expecting this year, Jesse, there's a lot of areas that are struggling catching enough rain. Our farm would certainly be in one of those areas. So we're, we're concerned it's going to be a drier harvest again. What are some of the things you've learned here over the last couple of years that, that could help us do a better job and stay safer through a dry harvest? Yeah, you know, just trying to keep that machine clean, keep the debris off of it, kind of knowing where the areas are on your machine that trash can build up. Um, I've got one of the cordless DeWalt leaf blowers, and I'll use that at the end of the day to blow the machine off, and that way you're getting dirty at the end of the day before you go home, and the next morning you've got a clean machine to start with. So that's that's one thing. Um, the, the other thing would be making sure you've got fire extinguishers on the machine, uh, those fire extinguishers are in date. They're charged up. And the other thing I recommend to guys a lot of times is take them off once or twice a season, flip them upside down, bounce them off the bottom of the tire, and that'll break that powder in the bottom of the uh, fire extinguisher loose so that it's not getting caked in the bottom as you're bouncing through the field. And then you go to use it and it won't come out. I also like to keep a water-filled fire extinguisher on the machine. You know, those are really great for that crop residue. If you get a fire in the crop residue, plus you can go back to the shop, fill them up with the garden hose and pump them back up with the air hose and recharge them yourself. So you know, if it's really dry, you know, a lot of guys will keep a disc in the field. I've had a lot of customers in Nebraska on days when the wind's blowing 40, 60 miles an hour that say, you know, we're just going to take the day off. It's not worth having something happen on a day like today and starting a fire, field on fire. 
You know, that's that's a good point. I'm seeing more farmers bring a water tank and even having a tillage tool on hand just in case, especially if they're a long ways away from <laughs> from help. Uh, and that gets to be the challenge. So right. we do rely on our equipment a lot. Do you, do you have some new innovations coming out on equipment with some of these safety features and other things to to improve safety for farmers? Yeah, I mean, you know, safety is one thing that we're constantly looking at and talking about within the company, um, you know, trying to make sure we've got machines that are comfortable to reduce the stress throughout the day. You've got good visibility. You've got good mirrors that you can see behind you. Uh, the camera kits that we've got available from the factory now, if you're backing a machine up, that allows you to see what's behind you. If there's another vehicle behind you or kids running out there or something like that. So I think some of those things along with, you know, just from that harvest stress, the, the AFS uh, harvest command is going to automate those machine settings so that once you get the machine set, it's taking some of that stress off of you throughout the day by automatically making some machine adjustments for you as you're harvesting and your conditions change. Um, one example of that would be I was up at the field day last week and it looks like in the bottom you've got some really good corn and on the top of the hills it's a little thinner so that harvest command is going to adjust as those yields and moistures and all that change going through the field. You're, you're absolutely right on that Jesse it's it's going to be variable throughout the the field that you, you drive through and I know every year we see our yield monitors go up and down even on the good years so there's certainly a lot of adjustments that have to be made it's it's a lot mentally on farmers too you, you've really got to be sharp and it, it wears you out by the end of the day just having better cabs uh, I remember growing up dad installed an air conditioning unit on the cab you know after market because it wasn't even available yet and boy to have the comforts that we've got in the cabs now and the automation that we've got to use it, it certainly helps with all those long hours of harvest right uh <clears throat> auto guidance you know that that's probably a big one that takes stress off if you go get an older combine and run it for a day without auto guidance you really appreciate that you know, we, we look at all the different people working around the machines, too, and I think that's another one where we, we end up with kids out there at harvest. I mean, I think every farm kid wants to ride in the combine. And as you're working on equipment, do, do you have some tips for you when you've got a crew running around those machines? Yep. I, you know, I've got a four-year-old and a six-year-old daughter that like to spend a lot of time with me on the farm. So, you know, the safety with them around is always top of the mind and uh, i was listening to your show when it started and you were talking about you know dad didn't let you do certain things when you're were younger and we're kind of the same way but just you know if they're coming to the field for lunch or something like that you know making sure i've got the machine stopped i like to set everything on the ground so the head's not sitting in the air every time i shut the machine down and get everything shut down before they even get out of the vehicle so there's you know less chance of someone running up to a machine that's got moving parts and getting injured or something like that. I know in our farm, we, we tried to look at everything as far as overhead power lines and trees and these types of things, but our equipment just keeps getting bigger and bigger as evidenced by, well, our old shop, we can't even fit in the door anymore. So uh, I know we've gotten right. bigger equipment out there. It's, it's definitely worth another look before you get to harvest. Yep. You know, knowing where the power lines are, especially, 
if you've got fields that have power lines that run across them, uh, making sure you're not leaving the auger out and swinging it towards the road where the power lines are, um, not driving under power lines with the grain tank opened up that could snag a power lines is all very important. Yeah, there's a lot going on with harvest, and, and we've got to use our heads going in and plan accordingly. I, I like uh, your first tip here today, Jesse. Just get the 140-point inspection on the equipment ahead of time. Here we are. We've got a little bit of time before corn or soybean harvest start in the upper Midwest. And depending on where you're at, harvest timing may be a little different. But well in advance of harvest, just go in for that wellness check with your equipment. Make sure everything's running fine and, and calibrated so that your automations can work well in the combine just to improve safety and do everything you can to to make this harvest successful. Uh, Jesse Williams here with Case IH. Thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you. Enjoyed it. We'll talk more about harvest safety. We'll also dive into the Ag PhD mailbag coming up here shortly. If you have a question for us, you can email us, radio at agphd.com, or give us a phone call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot when we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. 
The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. Talking about harvest safety, and we've got our friend D. Jepson back on the show at Ohio State University. D. had such great stuff for us last year, and uh, I, I need a little refresher on a couple of great points that you made. Well, I know that we were talking about harvest safety with the last caller, and he had some awesome tips. I'm going to do a reminder for having our fire extinguishers ready to go. So while you're out there checking your equipment, make sure that fire extinguisher kind of gets looked at. If the gauge looks as if it's in the charged zone um, and you feel like you can trust that, go ahead and know that it's good. If it's in the out-of-charge zone or if it hasn't been charged for two years, um, take that in to a fire service and let them get that recharged and ready to go. Um, I know things are kind of wet right now, but they will certainly dry out when we get to harvest time. You know, speaking about the dry conditions, last year on our show, you made a comment about wind. And once we got up to a certain amount of wind, the risk of fire went up dramatically. Uh, do you remember what that stat was? And, and are you talking a lot about wind this year? Well, we certainly know that wind, wildfires, um, you know, we have seen our share of that. So um, I'm not going to say that any certain amount of wind, it's kind of like when we spray, right? Um, there's not a certain magical threshold. If it's windy, um, those conditions are ripe for added oxygen and um, that can fuel the fires. So um, you're absolutely right to be prepared and watch out for those environmental conditions. Well, your first tip was fire extinguishers, and I know just talking to farmers across the country, that's been one that they're, they're hearing this, and they're hearing it from multiple sources that, you know what, this is a pretty simple thing. If you're not doing that, come on, guys. And the other one is just blowing down equipment, cleaning up equipment. And I, I've talked to more farmers, D, that say this is a multiple times a day kind of thing. We just don't want to take chances. Oh, that's true. Anytime we step out of the combine and take a rest break or if you're working around the grain bins, um, you know, taking a break, kind of take a look, find the broom, um, find an air hose, and blow off that extra chaff because we know um, removing the dry fodder will help, you know, eliminate one leg of that fire triangle. Um, you need the spark, you need the oxygen, and then you need materials that will burn. So simply keeping those materials at bay and, and in check um, our grain co-ops do a great job. They have to adhere to a, a, a dust standard that they can't have any more than an eighth of an inch of, of dust at any time in their facility. Um, they're pretty confident that they can meet that standard. So I challenge the farmers to do the same thing. Uh, just keep that dust and that extra chaff um, at bay. 
Now, you mentioned grain bins as well, and certainly there are safety issues and and many times tragic safety issues around grain bins. What are some of the simple things, Dee, that we should be doing that that we just haven't done on a regular basis that that could really improve safety? Well, you're right. Having our our bins ready to go, a lot of um, folks are sweeping them out this time of year. And so when you enter a grain bin, of course, industry classifies that as a confined space. Um, which means there's, there's a way to enter that safely. The first one is, is that you never enter it alone. Um, let someone else know that uh, you're, you're going in to work for the, in the bin. Um, if you're able to have someone monitor you while you're inside, um, those are all um, good recommendations. We want to make sure that we even turn off all the electrical equipment that could add additional um, injury if you're in, if you're in there. By that, I mean, like, let's turn off those sweep augers. I know folks are in there maybe with the sweep augers, so if the sweep augers can be doing their job and, and you are at least eight feet away from that sweep auger and maintain that distance, um, that would be important, too. Um, it's always good to wear a harness and a lifeline, but before I re- make that recommendation, I also have to say, where are you going to attach that lifeline to? Um, OSHA tells us we have to have an attachment point that can handle a 5,000-pound pole on that line. Now, some of our older grain bins are just not able to do that. Some of our new bins might even have the stiffener, um, you know, the metal that's stiffened enough that we can attach, or they may even have rails or attachment points built in. I always challenge um, farmers that as they are building new bins, to keep that in mind, put something there that they can be wearing a lifeline with an attachment point. And let's see, the last one, I want to talk about farmer's health. Um, We are doing some studies right now at Ohio State to measure how much dust and noise um, a worker is exposed to when they are inside sweeping out the bins. And it is off the charts. And so I really want to make sure that as farmers are Um, doing their work safely, they also think about their health and the type of respirators that they're wearing. Yeah, there's just so many things when it comes to your personal health that need to be at the forefront here too, not just making sure the equipment's up and running, but getting in and getting that annual health check and make sure you're good to go. There's going to be a lot of strain on you, like you mentioned, with dust and noise and the long hours and probably a little less sleep than you're used to. All those things can be really tough on your health, so make sure you're paying attention to you in addition to the equipment. Great stuff here, Dee, as always. Really appreciate the work you're doing at Ohio State. Thanks for sharing that with our listeners today, too. Thank you. Be safe. Brian, harvest safety is certainly a big thing. I know there's a lot of things that we do as you kind of outlined some of them at the start of the show to to make sure that, that we're safe and any of our people working on our farm are safe. And and that is one thing, too. There, there are generally some extra hands on deck at harvest time and just taking the time with, with each additional person, whether it's your cousin that lives in the city that comes out to help with harvest or or whether that's your, your parents who have retired from farming but they come back to help at harvest, whatever the case may be, or, or just a friend that you know from town, make sure you're going through all these safety things with them to to keep them safe. I mean, that's the most important thing at harvest. If we don't get everything combined before the snow hits, 
it stinks, but if somebody gets hurt, uh, there's just no replacing that and, and no going back. So make sure you're doing everything you can to keep the equipment in top, top notch, uh, operating ability. And also that you're going through each of these instructions with your people too. All right, let's dive back into the Ag PhD mailbag, Brian, and got a couple of questions here that, that I thought were interesting. One was, um, with soils and raising soybeans north of the border. And this question came in from Alberta. We want to raise soybeans for the first time. We got some ground that was pasture up until 2020, and they had taken a soil sample and sent in. What would you guys do if you wanted to raise soybeans there? We get about uh, growing degree units, about uh, 2,200, 2,300 growing degrees. Okay, here's the thing. We have one soil test, and I question it because there's 17.5% base saturation potassium. Um, are there? Do we actually have, according to this, four thousand ninety-five pounds of K? I'd like to see grid samples out there. Let's see if we actually are dealing with that over the whole field. I really, really, really doubt it. But if we are, here's how I would handle that. I would not put potassium on again until my base saturation K is below eight. So that's the first thing. Second thing is you've only got forty-five percent calcium. You've got to get more out there and get that base saturation percentage raised. The magnesium's at 23%, so it's not horrible. But if it's me, I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of money on this because I'm going to do this real slowly on the on the calcium thing, but I'd probably at least be considering the use of some gypsum. And then beyond that, you know, when I start looking at some of the other nutrients, there's 400 pounds of phosphorus, great. Uh, 20 Parts per million on zinc, that's almost exactly in ratio with the phosphorus, great. Copper's a little low at 1.8 parts per million. Uh, but, you know, boron's at 2.4. I mean, a lot of these numbers are actually pretty good. I would expect you're going to raise a real good crop out there. However, there is 2.4% sodium. And again, that potassium is like double the amount that you want. So, don't worry about it. You'll suck it out of there pretty quickly. So just make sure you're not putting any more potassium out anytime soon. And then make sure that we're doing everything we can to make that soil as porous as possible. That means getting a little more calcium out there, putting in drain tile if you need to, because we're talking 30 CEC. So, I mean, those are the things that I would probably take a look at on this soil. All right. Thanks for that question. We appreciate it. We'll dive back into more of your questions right after this. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experienced the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. 360 Yield Saver pays back fast. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. For a 12 row corn head, harvesting 2,000 acres of corn, you'd spend $7,200 on the Yield Savers. Those replacement gathering chains cut header loss by 80%. With today's corn prices, the grain you save will pay for the investment of 360 Yield Saver in less than 600 acres. This crop is too valuable to leave bushels in the field due to header loss. Put that extra grain back in your tank with 360 Yield Saver. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, 
or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. And we are in the Ag PhD mailbag time right now. If you have an agronomic question, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Got this one in from Chip. He said, my sons plant pumpkins to sell in the fall for extra money. Hey, that's awesome, Chip. That's a great business uh, for young young people to get into on the farm. He said, is there a pre-emergent herbicide that you would recommend for pumpkins? I tried Prowl this year, but with the drought, I think it affected the pumpkins. Maybe. I just think more than anything, it was the drought that impacted the pumpkins. So I, I, I would say trifluralin is labeled. So that's a yellow, just like Prowl is. And there's also Kerbit. So that's ethylfluralin, similar to trifluralin. So both of those things are labeled. So you could certainly do that. And they have real good grass activity. And they're decent on quite a few broadleaves. They're not the greatest on broadleaves. So I don't know exactly what you're after for weeds. But here are the other products that would be labeled. Dual or esmetolichlor. So that's a group 15. It's going to be good on grass, decent on some small seeded broadleaves, but it's not going to be as good as like uh, trifluralin or curbit. And then you've got reflex. It's not labeled in every state. So you'll have to check to see if your state, in your state, it's labeled. But um, reflex is a good broadleaf product, better than trifluralin or any group 15. Okay, so 
those are probably the ways that I would go or the, the products I would consider using. Now, here are some others. There's Sandia. That's the same thing as Permit. That's an ALS. It can be a little hard on the crop if it's cool and wet. It's the same thing in just about any crop. Uh, these ALS herbicides can be a little tough sometimes in cold, wet conditions. And it's not the greatest on a lot of weeds out there, so usually I'm not recommending that. And then the other one would be Strategy that's labeled. That's a combination of Command plus Curbit. So Command has definitely more broadleaf activity, at least on certain weeds like Velvet Leaf. It's great on. So those are the, the choices you've got. Trifloralin or Curbit, Dual, Reflex, Sandia, Strategy. All right. Thanks for the question. And good luck on the, the pumpkin sales. That's that's awesome. Okay. Got this one in from Randy over in Western Minnesota. Randy said, hey, guys, uh, we had a failure last year trying to get cover crop established. I mean, here you talking about cover crops that you do after your silage harvest. Can you talk to us a little bit about your cover crop strategy? We're pretty dry right now. We're anticipating it's going to be dry after we get harvest done, too. What steps are you going to take to establish a good cover crop? Well, the first thing is a lot of people talk about flying it on, blowing it on, whatever, that seed. I want you to think about this. How successful would you be if you flew on your wheat seed or your corn seed or your soybean seed or you blew it on with a floater and hoped for the best? You'd probably go, wow, that's an enormous disappointment. Yep, that's usually what we see when people try to seed that way. Um I don't really call that a seeding. I call that Johnny Appleseed, and we're hoping for the best. So we have modern technology. Let's use the modern technology. Use a drill or something to actually put it in the ground, and you're going to have way better success. The main reason why is because seed needs soil contact, and it's got to have soil around it, and you've got to have water with that soil. So you've got a much better chance when it's down into the ground a little bit. So anyway, we've tried those other methods. And I mean, sure, sometimes they work okay. And granted, when it's just a cover crop, we shouldn't even use the word crop in there because cover is appropriate. All right. If I'm raising a crop, I think about, I want to have the best success possible. Um, when I'm thinking about a cover, it's like, ah, whatever. I, I just, I don't want to spend a lot. I'm just going to hope for the best. So I kind of want this happy medium in here. Um, I don't want to spend a lot. On our farm, we like using oats for a couple of reasons. Number one, dirt cheap. So we're going to spend five bucks an acre on the seed. That's awesome. So I didn't spend much. Two, it definitely dies in the winter. I need that. I can't have anything growing in the spring. Otherwise, it robs my water and nutrients for my crop next year. We get no rain here to speak of. So we got to have things as as clean as possible in the spring, but I like having that residue there. It catches the snow in the winter. Um, it, it prevents my soil from blowing away. So that part's all good, but we really like oats as our choice for a cover crop because it for sure dies in the winter. So anyway, what we'll be doing is when silage harvest is going to happen here, starting later this month, we will be right behind those cutters and we'll be going in with a drill 
put that seed out there. We go with a relatively low rate. We don't we don't need to put on several pounds of oats per acre. We're just going to throw a little bit on, maybe a bushel, bushel and a half, something like that, but very little money we are going to spend. And then we'll have that opportunity to get better seed to soil contact. And even if it does remain dry, and we've been in drought for over three years now, I, I, I know we'll get a lot of that growing. But the big key here is we want to get, get it off to a, a good start as quickly as possible because we're talking around the 1st of September and a lot of the silage will get cut in early to mid-September. Well, we have we might have two months of growing left, so I want to take full advantage of that. Now, if we had, let's say, three or four months, I'd be in no enormous rush. But because we have such limited time, and some years things close up on us real fast, where we get snow in late October, it's like, whoa, uh, we might only have a month and a half for this stuff to grow, so we've got to get it going. So those are those are, I guess, my big things. Oh, I, let me say this too, and I know I'm going on about cover crops, but we get so many questions about this. A lot of people get all worried about, well, my residual herbicide from the spring is going to hurt my cover crop. Yeah, that's the way it goes. Who cares? It's a cover crop. Now, if you say, well, I'm going to graze it. Okay, now we're talking a cash crop, and we always have to weigh these things out. So if your regular cash crop that you raise in the spring can make you, let's call it $700, and your fall cash crop, because you're going to graze it, makes you $100. Okay, you got a 7 to 1 exchange there. Where do you think the effort needs to be placed? In other words, what do you need to focus on? What do you care most about weed control? That kind of thing. So where why I'm saying this is I don't want you to sacrifice a great herbicide in the spring for a mediocre one just because you want to raise this cover crop in the fall. You may be costing yourself as much or more money than you could possibly make by having that fall cover crop or cash crop if you're going to graze it. So just always keep that in mind. We've got to make sure what's making us money does the very best, and that always needs to be the first focus. And then if you say, okay, well, I have this great herbicide, so that means my cover crop isn't going to grow well. Well, pick a different cover crop then. There are a million of them out there. So you just have to look at what are my goals and what potential cover crops would fit into that. And how can I kill it if and when it becomes a volunteer next year or the year after that or the year after that? The last thing you want to do is seed what's eventually going to be the worst weed problem on your farm. And you go, man, I did this to myself on purpose. So always be thinking about those things. All right. Now this one from Ed, and he said, my soybeans weren't anything to brag about this year, but we actually caught some rain and the beans look pretty good now. My questions for you are twofold. How long do I need to keep up fungicide applications for white mold protection, which I'll probably get now that I got some rain? And number two, how late do I keep scouting and spraying for soybean aphids and other bugs? Well, the other bugs is the the thing. Aphids, like in our region of the country, middle of August, once you get past August 15th, August 20th, the odds of it paying as a treatment get pretty slim. Past R5, R6, probably not going to be worth it. But other insects, you need to scout all the way till harvest because we have had it before where a whole bunch of bean leaf beetles show up and they clip pods. We've had it before where a whole bunch of grasshoppers move in late in the season and destroy some of certain fields. So you want to pay attention for those. 
That's a lot different than aphids. I'm not worried about aphids in September, but I could worry about other things. In terms of fungicide, we would just say we're not going to call or quits until we're at at least R5. Until we are at beginning fill, I'm I'm going to... I'm going to keep spraying. So the way we handle white mold on our farm, we start with Cobra in mid-June. Then we come about two or three weeks later with Endura. Then we come three weeks later with something else and three weeks later with something else. We'll run the math on that. That puts me out to about mid-August spraying our last treatment. I know it seems like a lot, but Darren and I were just talking about this this morning. White mold has absolutely taken 100% of our yield in areas on the farm. We have to be very aggressive with that. I'm not letting that happen again. Yeah, don't give up on that soybean crop too early. Thanks for listening to our show today. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.